Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we talk about the latest in zero-knowledge research and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. This week, we catch up with Jordi Bailina, the co-founder of IDEN3 and the creator of CIRCOM. We chat about his work in the ecosystem, building zero-knowledge circuits, and the new roll-up project Hermes. But before we start in, I want to say thank you to this week's sponsor, Parity Technologies. So Parity has been mentioned more than once on this show. Frederick is currently the CTO there, and once upon a time, I worked there too. In fact, it was during that time that this, the ZK podcast, was born. So for this spot, the folks at Parity wanted to share that they are currently looking to fill a number of job positions, including many on the engineering side. As an engineer at Parity, you would get to write Rust all day, be at the forefront of creating and shaping the decentralized web, and hopefully also dig into some cool zero-knowledge crypto tech. The best way to get noticed for this role is to familiarize yourself with Substrate, the platform built by Parity, which makes building blockchains much, much easier. So go check out the Substrate libraries and then head over to parity.io jobs to find out more. So thank you again, Parity, for sponsoring this episode. Now here is our interview with Jordi. Today, we're going to be catching up with Jordi Bailina, who's the co-founder of IDEN3, the creator of CIRCOM, SnarkJS. Welcome to the show, Jordi. Thank you very much, Anna. A pleasure to be here. So, Jordi, you've already spoken at the ZK Summit, um, and actually we'll add the link to that in the show notes where you do go into CIRCOM in detail. But I'm so happy to have you actually join on the podcast. This is It's kind of crazy that this is the first time that we have you on because I feel like we actually, I see you around yeah, a lot. You've been on the, been at the <laughs> events, been at all the conferences, and not only in our conferences, but obviously around the space for a really long time. Yes, I'm in the space since uh, 2015. Oh, wow. So this is the thing I wanted to actually start in on, because I just realized like last week, I was reading sort of this description of the DAO hack, and your name was in it. And I I know that Griff must have mentioned this when we had him on the show, you know, two years ago talking about it, but I don't know if I knew you then. And I didn't put it together until literally this week. So let's find out about kind of your beginnings in the space. You were, you say 2015. Was it Ethereum? Was it Bitcoin? Where did you start? Well, actually in 2013, I read the, the Bitcoin paper. I get very excited about that. And I start, uh, well, I was trying to do some smart contracts. That's actually the thing. And it was a pain. On Bitcoin. On Bitcoin, yeah. I, it okay. was a pain. That was my beginning. I, I realized that most of the opcodes didn't work and it was tough. At, at that time, I also had a lot of work in my other my old job. So a little bit, I put it on the side. And in 2015, later on, um, just after a JavaScript conference, somebody started talking about decentralized storage. I discovered at that point IPFS. And well, at that point, that, that blew my mind. I started like, investigating. I don't know how I discovered Ethereum. And the moment that you know, I just took the smart contract that I was trying to do two years ago, and in two minutes, I set up a Solidity code and... <laughs> Upload and it was working. And for me, that then I was just uh, catch it by uh, by. You were hooked. I'm, I'm <laughs> absolutely hooked. Yeah, and and, and at that point, it was like uh, obsession. Just getting all the all, all my free time, all my and my free time, my sleep time, all all my time, just reading, understanding, going deep, and so on. And there is at some point, I I get in in the into the DAO project. Everybody was was excited about that project, so I started reading the smart contract on that. I was even writing a, a liquid democracy for the DAO at that point. Wow! But just learning, you know, just learning the code, and there, there is uh, I get involved a lot in at, at that point in there. You discover here all it's not was about technical at this point. It even was all the social part of the of the crypto space. Mm-hmm. You discover that it's not only a technology. So it's when your mind starts blowing a lot, and and there, and there is when the the hack happened. You know, I, I knew a lot about the smart contract. People just asking me there, and I just get involved in the rescue 
after that. It was my my baptism in the. It's your baptism. Yeah, it was in the. What's the expression of that? It's like baptism probably, by probably, fire. Probably I translate. Probably I translate. I translate from some Catalan expression. So <laughs> no, but I think there yeah, is an expression by in English. Fire is definitely, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. Sounds like that was very much. It was that. a learning. It was a lot of. It was a lot of learning. You know, when I discover how to. How the hacker did it. Uh, I reproduced that in the testnet. I speak with Slovakic people and just send them the code. And they just, well, they just told me that they were just working, that there was a people of uh, white hats, that they were already working on saving the phones. So I just joined a call in there. I was like the last guy arriving there. Uh, it was for me. It was like a movie. It was crazy, you know. I was in a call with a lot of people that I don't. I don't even know nobody there. And the people were moving one hundred million dollars just rescuing there. And wow. and it was just there in the call listening. I couldn't believe the level. And it was interesting because at the end of the call, they, they rescued ninety six millions out of the one hundred millions. But they still there was four million dollars. And I had my chance there. I say I can. I maybe I can try to use my smart contracts there to try to rescue. And I was able to actually recover that that for the last four million dollars. And and from there, my wow. life just changed. You just you just made this comment about um, how it was like a movie. And a few years ago, after we had done that interview with Griff, which, by the way, I'll add in the show notes for anyone who wants to hear that sort of extended story of of the Dow hack, we had just done that interview. Frederick, I don't know if you were there that day. (laughs) Okay, so we all met up with someone, a friend of mine, who, like, he was not in crypto at all. And we were buzzing about this story, you know, kind of looking back at it, but we were so excited about it. And we explained it to him. He's actually a filmmaker, and it was so fun to try to explain it to someone from the outside, but it it really does have the drama of like a movie. Yeah, actually, I have a friend that uh, I explain I, exactly like you explain. I explain him the the story, and uh, he likes to write books. And he took my story. Of course, he changed it. You know, it's, it's just a fiction story. But he took my my story as a base for a novel uh, for him, and he wrote a novel it has nothing to do with uh, <laughs> Ethereum. With the, it's, it's Ethereum actually, <laughs> but it's like uh, you know, he just mixed and just put more in his side, and then mix other stories, but. But it was like the base for for the for his story. It's, you know, it's just a, it's a local writer, but it's, uh, it's it, yeah, I understand what you mean. That it was a, it was it yeah. was very very crazy, and for me, it was very very impact. You know, my I, I told you, my life changed completely at that point. I have a question actually about the DAO hack specifically that I I guess I've never <laughs> cared enough to investigate on my own, but I've had this question several times. What happened to the funds on ETC? So like there was this split because things were recovered and then ETC it wasn't. Like what happened on ETC side? The day of the ETC hard fork, we actually thought that the, the story was over. <laughs> but then is when ETC uh, appears. So and we just start resynchronizing servers and, and so on. And we did there all the recovery. We did what, what we can. I think we missed we missed some daytime at the beginning, but the other there was a lot of DAOs. It was a very complex uh, situation, but we recover like seventy percent or eighty percent of the funds in ETC. And well, recovering that point that was actually the the most I thought the most difficult part because this was not a technical part. Had to return, so we we recover these funds. We recover we returned them to their their owners. But the the story for returning was hard one. We tried that first chance to to convert them back to Ethereum. That's where we, we had all the tooling there. People knew that, so we tried to to move them to Ethereum. But this was a mistake. We didn't realize that, but uh, this was uh, actually a mistake. So we at the moment that we tried because you know you need to try to convert that, but uh, it was difficult because you need to do it in a way that's uh, like secret in order to try to maintain the maximum value of the tokens, but at the same time public so that you can prove that actually you move the funds and this was not. So we set up a full strategy to move at the same time and, and 
story and I remember this was really bad because <laughs> uh, we, we just hit the button to, to move the phones and, and uh, well yeah I think it was Poloniex just uh, block us the phones <laughs> and they told us oh. they told us oh there, was, there is some phones something like there was some phones and from suspicious places that has been moved everything is in fancy of the FBI and at <laughs> that point okay <laughs> so we just took oh. all the remaining phones we, we created all the smart contracts uh, we created a smart contract where the people could withdraw their phones and then we just flip it back with that hey, uh, we are ready to return the phones please uh, exchanges that you have blocked us please send the phones to this smart contract so that the people can recover it back yeah in less than 24 hours they just send the money there so and the people just start withdrawing and everything is there did the hacker get away with something yes he i think he get like at that point was something like four or five million dollars or something like that in etc i guess in etc yes yeah but then it's this is when the ethereum was at 10 or something like that so it's yeah. Like yeah. everything gets crazy at that point but that's, that's what I told you. For me, that was, uh, was my baptism. I learned here a lot about changes. I learned a lot about people in the... In those scenarios. In those, yes, it was a, a huge learning for me. You know, just uh, we, we learned about uh, analyzing the blockchain, uh, auditing, generating these smart contracts for, for returning security issues. You know, I learned a lot. You know, for me, it was a, was a master class on, on all yeah. that. And, and yeah, so just then. How do you go from that? point to zero knowledge proof stuff like what we're talking about was that was in 2016 right mm -hmm. when and how did you first get interested in the zero knowledge proof side of things i i could not say an exact uh date but uh when you are in this space you at some point i decided that i want to be here just full time it's like that this is my life and i want to be here and the first thing that you realize is that this technology do not scale. So if you want to use this uh, technology in a real world, uh, you need to think about scaling the blockchain. I get very obsessed on the scaling. I was studying just uh, state channels, side chains, and different solutions that Plasma that was at that point. And uh, I was very pessimistic on all these solutions until the point that in some way I connect the, the zero knowledge on, on all that stuff. I remember that Vitalik wrote an introduction to Zika Snarks and I was reading there. I had to read like 10 times, you know, those posts because they are not easy and there are some unconnected parts and, and, and you need to go to step. But at the moment that you get it, at the moment that you understand it, it's like you see how it's like this thing. No, it's, oh, it's not... It's not that hard, you know, it's uh, maybe it took you like a month just to understand it. But once you get it, you see that the, you appreciate the simplicity. You appreciate that, well, it's not, it's, it's, it's really, it's really cool, you know. And uh, when you start seeing all the applications that it have with privacy, you know, with a lot of uh, applications, it's when you get interesting and when you really see that this is the future of this uh, space, or at least an important piece in the future. Yeah, it's interesting. So it, it's interesting that you came to it more through the scaling side. Like you must have been aware of like Zcash and these other projects out there, but you, if for you, it only really landed in your lap as a solution to scaling. When or maybe like who first put those two ideas together? Uh, I remember there was a post from Vitalik also talking about uh, ZK rollups. Well, it was rollup at that. This idea of uh, splitting, of separating the computation, the scaling of the computation side of the validation, so the validity part, and the scaling of the data availability and splitting the problem in these two problems, this is what really blows your mind. This is actually the real piece of these blockchains can 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 evolve. And, and then it's just a matter of, of doing numbers, you know, just a... Making numbers, how many transactions could you do? How, how much would cost to create the proofs? Uh, how you would set up that? And 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 you start thinking and just analyzing the problem, and 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 then you 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 are learning and you are discovering. And yes, that's identity. You know, when when we this is when I start working with identity. That was this privacy part, but uh, also this scalability part. You know, an identity system. We want to build a system that everybody can, all the identities can do as many claims as they want. So it's not a centralized system. It's a, it's a, it's a sovereign decentralized identity. So you need to scale. If you want to claim, that means you need to do this attestation and you need to scale this quantity of attestations that the system can handle. And, and, and here is where comes again, the solution of the, of the snarks. 
which is cool because it's the same technology that you can use it for privacy, but at the same time for uh, scaling. <laughs> and actually, problem. This is I hear from somebody that says that what really make the the, in, the big interest of the snarks is more in the in the scaling, scaling. side, the, 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 the privacy. Privacy, nobody cares about, <laughs> about that, yeah. which is mm. which is sad. But <laughs> that's that's that, that's uh, the the truth. But in any case, it's uh, it's an amazing technology. We're um, sort of maybe related, and sort of a side question really uh, is. Were you involved in the uh, Ethereum-based system that was set up in the the Spanish uh, political kind of nightmare that was going on for a while, where there was an identity system on Ethereum for voting, for tracking where these like political groups were meeting and all this stuff? I'm a Catalan. I have nothing to do with Spain. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> So were you part of the Catalan Ethereum project? Yes. In Catalan, I'm just, just working for Catalan to be an independent country. And, and, and I think that blockchain uh, is an, an amazing technology that can help on, on that. Especially I, my goal, the goal in my life is Catalonia be a liquid democracy uh, system where Catalans decide their, their future. I want to retire when this happens. Yeah. Did, did any of this work? act as a precursor to ident3 or was it completely separate like separate trains of thought i told you this is my like my long-term goal if you want my ideological goal but in the middle you need to to create a sort of sovereign identity you need to scale blockchains you need to uh you need, you need to work a lot in the technology so at the end is you uh, this is the long-term path but in the short term you need to work in the everyday's uh project and in the everyday's here is where uh, scaling, sorry, identity, and so on. And Catalonia is just maybe my my motivation, but you know, this is a technology that works for any community in the world that can really self-organize and self self-govern and all that together. So yeah, that's 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 really cool. What is IDEN three then? So this is is this a company? IDEN three is a protocol where everybody can create an identity or if you want a set of identities. So those identities can create claims uh, mainly on other identities. And then uh, you can prove those identities to third party. So Ident3 at the end is a simple protocol where you can create identities, you can create claims, and you can prove those claims. And that's it. We want to try to keep it as simple as possible. This is the, the basic for any identity system. And the goal of IDEN3 is to define a protocol that can be used for in a decentralized manner for doing that. So it's a base layer protocol on that. I'm curious what the claims can be. Like, can I claim that I'm a Swedish citizen or that I have this education? Or... Yeah, yeah, you can have this degree on this school. You can claim that I uh, have a debt on something. You can claim that you are a nice person and that, or that your podcast looks so it's really cool. <laughs> a claim is any um, any statement that you do. It's a notarized. It's like if you go to notarized, you write something and you put in a, in a notary. So you can prove you can yeah. prove that later. So I'm doing a claim on you and then for a typical example, eh, I'm claiming on you, I'm the university, you are a student, I'm claiming to you that you have this degree and then you can take this claim and prove to an, to an employer that you had that degree. And all that with privacy. So I don't even, if I'm the university, I don't even have to know that you are proving that to this job. So when you want to keep this all this privacy in the in the full layer and at the same time the scalability where here is where the challenge the, the challenge come and mm -hmm. where the zero knowledge is is, is a key piece so we start doing uh, this identity system but then we realize and actually we realize that the zero knowledge are are so important so that's also why we developed all this tooling for uh, zero knowledge you know all this circum and or snarkjs comes mainly for this need. You know, we need to build this, this protocol, so we need to define that. Of course, you learn a lot on that and you are doing like iterations and maybe you could do this way, you generate the proofs, uh, the, the snarks this way, how you manage identities, it starts. It's complex, but it's simple. So you've explained where the zero-knowledge proofs fit in, but do you feel like the CIRCOM and SnarkJS, has that become like a bigger part of this project? Is that sort of your main focus nowadays or is it like still within this umbrella of Ident3? No, it's, it's it's bigger than that. When you do this project and when you see that 
when you see that many projects start using that, uh, you need to understand that and you are trying that these tools be not a tool only for you. It's a tool for the community. Here it's, I don't know, there is uh, interesting projects. I don't know, Tornado Cash is, is, is using that. Uh, we talk, uh, so the, the, this game, uh, uh, you say, what's the name? Dark, Dark Forest game is using that. And, and um, Semaphore is using that. So it's like a, a lot of projects that are using Circum. And I think that Circum, so I, it, Circum brings this technology to a lot of new developers that discover the zero knowledge through these tools. I think we haven't actually defined what CIRCOM actually is. So what is it? CIRCOM means circuit compiler. So it's like, it's not a, <laughs> it's awesome. not a fancy name. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Sounds super cool though. <laughs> yeah, but uh, CIRCOM is, uh, you know, it's uh, at the end is a, a language to write programs that can be run in uh, zero knowledge. So let me explain. So when... Zero knowledge, what you're doing mainly, what you're doing is you're proving that you made a computation, but without you to have to repeat that computation. You can verify that much faster. But how do you program what computation you want to prove? In the case of the rollups, for example, this computation is about verifying all the, all the transactions. So you verify that the signature is okay, that you have enough, enough funds in your account, and, and all these uh, typical validations. So all these process of validating that, at the end, you want to summarize in a single proof that everybody can verify very fast that all this computation that can be long is proved really fast. So how you, do you write this, this, this process? So how do you write these programs? You cannot use regular uh, languages. You need to write these programs in a very specific manner. So you have a lot of constraints that you need to use there. So Circum is a specific language that helps the developer to write those uh, those programs. Yeah, those circuits. We call it circuits, circuits programs. Oh, okay. It's, this, uh, it's, it's, it's very much the same, but uh, we call it circuit because the properties of these programs are very much like an electronic circuit. Huh. So imagine an electronic circuit without uh, hatches, without latches, just uh, ANS and ORs, and, and you just, just do any computation you want, but just ANS ORs, just you have an input, all of ANS of ORs and all of the output. So you, at the end, you need to convert uh, whatever you want to compute with ANS and ORs, if you want with a circuit. That's why we call it a circuit. Mm -hmm. And that's converting that is that. And it's a DSL language. It's uh, writing circum is very much like writing electronic hardware. You just uh, do very small components, maybe an addition, a multiplication. You have a very, like transistors, you know, in electronics, you have like a small components. With this, you do maybe ANS. Uh, you do um, gate uh, components, and with these gate of components, you do uh, add, add others, and then you do more complex uh, operations, and you are building blocks every time more complex blocks, and at the end, you build your program out of these blocks. This is what we call DSL. And at the end, it's just taking blocks, connecting them all together, and generating the circuit that you want to build. So Circum is a language to, to write that. It's very simple. It's very easy. Uh, we have good tutorials, and it's very easy to just uh, step in and, and, and try it. When you first started on this, what was already available out there? Like, were there no languages that you could use? Like, why did you feel you had to develop a new one? Mainly, uh, well, at first, it was the LibSnark, was the original. But that was uh, a library, though, right? Or it's a library, yeah. Yes, but you know, you, for for writing those languages, you need to understand a lot about C plus plus, and and was quite complex to program in that. At that point, it, there was Socrates. Um, I I started doing some work with Socrates, but uh, I was very disappointed, especially because you couldn't in Socrates at that point. I think you no, know, they they change it and they move forward on that. But at that point it was very difficult to use all the tricks that these circuits can do. For example, for doing a division, you, you cannot, you don't have a, an operation that's a division. You have a multiplication, mm -hmm. but you have a constraint. So actually what you do is you calculate the multiplication and then you add a constraint that the, the result multiplied by time fits that. And then there, there is this, this kind of, uh, a lot of these tricks that when you're writing circuits are very important that it was not very well solved in the other languages at, at that point. So, I just uh, I wanted to write circuits, and uh, the ones that were there didn't fit to me. And uh, well, I just wrote my own wrote my own languages, and and, and it was it's uh, you know it's very simple. It's really 
it's well, it's really cool. People like it, and and it's uh, it's becoming very much a standard for writing circuits. How did you approach writing your own language? I mean, it, you could have made an embedded DSL in something else, or did you just write a new compiler from scratch? And what did you write that compiler in? Yeah, I brought I brought a new compiler from from scratch. You know, just uh, there is a lexical part, and then just create the branch. And I'm not an, I'm not a compiler expert, but I knew some some of the basic techniques of compilers. And uh, like all the projects, you know, it just starts a little bit like a toy, and and it goes uh, growing and so on. And right now, this 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 language is fully rewritten. Right now, it's a, a Rust, a rewriting, a rewriting of Circom in Rust that's done by people from university uh, that knows much more about compilers than myself and is doing a full rewriting of this. It goes a little little bit slowly, so because this this had to be like three, four months ago and it's still <laughs> a work in progress, but they are working hard and, and I hope that at some point they will uh, replace the actual JavaScript circum that's right now uh, what it is. But, you know, it will come whenever, whenever you find the while uh, the current circum works, works well and it's, it's, it's fine. I, I can imagine a lot of interesting challenges, though. I mean, especially on the optimization side, when you have these super complex circuits, there must be tons of optimizations that you can do to, like, yeah. typically in a compiler, if you have this, like, you're building on building blocks, then you do things like inlining and you kind of fold a bunch of these layers together at some point before you spit out the end result. Yeah, there are there is a lot of things there to do. Uh, this is the, the idea is we are trying to keep it separated. So it's like the, the compiler just compute the, these intermediary signals and it creates a constraint system that's maybe not optimal. And then you can have other intermediate uh, stages where you can do, run all these optimizations. The problem of these optimizations is that they need to be audited very well because you can mess it up easily. So it might change the logic. Otherwise. Yeah, exactly. So it's better to keep the language, keep the compiler as simple as possible, and then uh, all these uh, optimizations, put them as plugins. Yeah, like post-processing. Yeah. At the end, or maybe even the different stages. Uh, yeah. So that's a little bit the, the strategy that we are following for that. But yeah, it's a, it's work in progress, all, all, that, all, that, all, that, all that stuff. Does Circom work with every sort of ZK snark scheme, or is there like a particular type of snark that it's built for? Uh, Circom actually, it generates our one CS, so blank one constraint system. So it generates a constraint system, and it also uh, generates the code to uh, calculate all these intermediary variables that you need to build. When you want to create a proof of a specific program, you need to run that program. So you need to compute all these intermediary values. And this is, this is important for that. So this Circum does these two things, you know, compute the, generates the R1CS system and generates the, the code that computes these windows. So all the cryptographic uh, primitives that can take as an input on a 1CS system, it works. For example, here is uh, bulletproofs, can be connected to there with some Aurora, it has some, some sort of, many of them, a lot of these constraints, a lot of these uh, systems, mm. they have this, uh, this input. Plunk, for example, it's, it's not, yeah, but, but it's very, very easy to adapt. It's not, it's, it's not, so it's not really um, another 1CS because it, it can have like only two, it's not a linear combination. It just have a very limited set of signals. But when you have a linear combination, convert that to, to many, just add them together. It's it's not difficult. So just uh, connecting circum to plonk. I don't. So this will be done. In, it's in the it's in the to do list. Mm. Um, uh, maybe somebody's doing it, but it's uh, it's in the to do list, and it should not be. It's not a difficult thing to do. Do you do you feel like circum is really the the kind of the tool for certain kinds of constructions and then others do you, do you see any other languages kind of emerging to f deal with some of these new schemes that are coming out like marlin or like maybe the the vanilla plonk that doesn't use R r1cs we'll see this is i think that we, it's very early i i see that in these uh, circuits uh, in the in these languages there is like two sets of languages one is more if you want more high level languages languages that that are more close to what would be a standard like Python or like Rust, you know, more like that looks more like a traditional language. And 
And there is languages that are more low level. You know, this DSL language is more like uh, writing, um, writing it's, uh, assembly. You know, it's just uh, you put them the things together. So, and uh, this other, the other side, these other circuits, probably in the long, in the long run, maybe will be less optimal. You know, they would generate more constraints, and it would be less optimal. But it would be maybe enough. But yeah, in the long run, probably this would be would be more the future. So like but they would, the current, would they have to write their own high level in a way like to or like, or maybe even a library that interacts with Circom, but that's optimized for this particular thing. Yes, it's exactly. It could be that way. We'll see how, how this uh, ends up, but you know, Circom is very good when you want to have full control, exactly what you want to do in Circom. You have full control of the constraints you are writing. And in Circom, for example, so there is, no special library. You know, all the, all the, all the components in Circom are written in Circom. There is nothing like uh, special things that you need to import. And so in Circom, you can write any language you want yeah, yeah. In, in Circom itself. And this is in an easy way. So this is, this is, this is, I think this is one of the coolest things of Circom. And yes, probably on top of Circom, maybe there would appear other, other languages just for these more high level uh, languages. Mm. But uh, if you have, I would say, if you have the mind of a, of an electrical engineer, Circom is is really good because it's just you can do very 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 complex uh, circuits too. Because at the end, it's just a complex circuit is um, the union of many uh, less complex circuits, and these uh, less complex circuits are the union of, of more less m- more <laughs> yes less. So at the end, is you can build the full thing. And yeah. and the other cool thing of Circom is that you can. Not fully, but you can audit, for example, a specific component, a specific subcomponent there, and you can be sure that at least this piece, you can treat it as a black box, and and you know it that will this, work this as it says. Exactly. Okay. To see the like connections. Like the electrical and, kind of engine. Exactly. So if you have a if, you, if for electrical engineers, Circom is their tool. Okay. You know, is the is the, <laughs> Are you is the, are you actually an electrical engineer by? I'm a I'm a, I'm a yeah yeah I'm 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 a developer, but I'm I'm yeah my studies are I'm a telecommunications okay. engineer. Oh, yes. perfect. <laughs> Makes sense then. <laughs> <laughs> you seem like the right person to be doing yeah, this. And, I, and I've been, I've been designing, I've been, I've been designing electronics for for a while. Oh, cool. Um, I wonder how does Snark JS fit into this? What is Snark JS then? It's separate from Circom, right? Yes, yeah, so Circom just generates this R one CS, and Snark JS is a JavaScript library that actually implements the Zika Snark protocol. So it takes as an input this R1CS and this uh, this witness, and is it has all the tool all the tooling for all for all the setups of the Zika snarks for generating the proof for verifying the proof for generating smart contracts that can be deployed and verified on chain. You know the it's it's all this cryptographic implementation of the Zika snark. Concretely, the Growth sixteen protocol. Okay, so, that's so the SnarkJS will. How do you, how do I say this? It compi- it compiles into a growth sixteen curve. Like how do I? What's how would you say? What's the interaction? So so you write the circum language. Yeah. You compile it with circum. Uh, so you have like two files. Okay. If you want the the one CS constraint okay uh, system. It's just a, a file with all the constraints in there. And then you have these. In general, it can be WASM or C but Imagine that's a WASM file that computes, uh, that actually computes all these intermediary values. Okay, so this is the output of uh, Circom. So SnarkJS, what it does is, well, first of all, you need to run the trusted setup ceremony. So uh, SnarkJS first includes all the tooling ah. for this trusted setup. Includes all the powers of tau, which is not specific to any circuit, uh, and generates all these powers of tau. And just, I, I, I am sure you, you we you covered it on. Yeah, we did an episode on the lot, trusted setup, but yeah. Just let me ask people. Just please collaborate to the trusted setup ceremony. This is really this oh, the perpetual really powers of tau one. You mean? Yes. The, exactly. Yeah. That's that's important on that. But that's with SnarkJS right now. It's like a second. It's a second implementation of the of this uh, multi-party ceremony. It's the independent implementation, which is important even for the same ceremony because at the end you end up just trusting a simple software. Right now we have two different softwares that are covering that are doing exactly the you know exactly the same thing. So uh, it's more difficult to that there is some problem in in the software 
Mm. Wait, where is this? This is in Snark.js or this is like... This is in Snark.js. This okay. is in Snark.js. So we have these boards of Tau uh, preparation one. ceremony. Yep. Then you take the, the circuit, your specific circuit, you compute like the first key, but then you need to run this phase two, this other phase ceremony. Phase two of this trusted uh, setup, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the, you have also all the tooling for running, yeah. for, for running your trusted setup ceremony on top of this circuit. Once you have this setup, set so you have like a proving key and a verification key so with the proving key you you want to prove something so you need to well you have an input to the circuit you need to run the circuit with the wasm file that we that you uh, had back at the beginning yeah. the beginning so you get all these call it the witness but you get all these intermediary signals okay and with these intermediary signals on the proof and the proving key you just create the actual proof mm. proof is a you know it's a very short uh, it's like less than 1K, uh, less, less than 1,000 bytes. It's like 200 bytes or 300 bytes. of. That's actually the proof. And then you, once you have this proof, then you need to verify that. So you have the, verify, the, the verification. The verification, you, you put this proof. Maybe you have the public inputs or outputs. And with the proof and the public input or, the, or outputs, you can verify that actually uh, you run the circuit in a way that this public input and outputs match. And with this proof, you can cryptographically uh, verify that this was actually done that way. And and yeah, and then you can also, with Snark.js, you can take this brief verifier and upload it to the Ethereum blockchain. And uh, yeah, you can you, you have all the tooling on that. And the cool thing also for Snark.js is that it fully works in the browser which is uh, really important. You can do all these ceremonies and you can generate the proofs, you can verify the proof, you can do all these, all the tools works in the browser. It's hmm. the full tool right now, and this is the last updates. Uh, it's fully written in, in Wasm, so it's very optimal code. It's run also with workers in parallel. So it's, uh, of course, it's not native uh, host, uh, the generation of the proof, but we are getting closer to there. Maybe it's like two times, three times, uh, four times as slower, but not 100 times as slower. So it's just, it's, mm. and, 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 and this is very important. You know, if you want to have, for example, there is a project that's uh, uh, doing that, for example, for voting. The voting, you probably want to do, the, you want to generate that proof probably in the browser. So, mm. so, so you need to run there. So they, this, is, this is the importance also for Snark.js, is that you can do that in the, in the browser. Does it work with anything other than Gross 16? Not currently. Will it? Um, yes, uh, we will see. Actually, in my to-do list, I want to really get deep in Plunk at some point. But right now, we are we are very busy with the Hermes launch. But I hope that after the Hermes launch, we can have some time to get deeper in the Plunk and all these new versions, you know, all these new uh, Turbo Plunks and all these new uh, add-ons uh, based on, on Plunk that are very, very exciting and very interesting. And I think that their uh, Snark.js and Thircom can be used for, for those new um, schemas. Yeah. And maybe some one that already has not been invented yet. Ah. I think that it's a fair trade-off. I mean, if you talk about people who actually want to build applications with Snarks, most of them are still extremely skeptical to using anything other than Grot16 because basically nothing else has been used in production, like for real. Uh, with real value attached. And it's it's questionable. Like we've had many conversations with cryptographers on this podcast who go like, yeah, if it was invented in the last 10 years, you probably shouldn't use it. Uh, and yeah, it's like, I don't know. I think it's a fair trade-off to say it supports Cross 16 and then like when something else is really proven, you can start building a support for that. But I mean, it's also like Snark.js is, as I understand it now, like a complete toolkit for someone who bu- wants to build an application using snarks right so it's it's the whole stack including like deploying a verifier to to a chain and so you you want that reliability there you're not you're targeting someone else than a researcher basically yeah this is when you want to create a real a project that for real you know, a project that will will hold uh, i don't know we expect millions of dollars there you need to consider very much these decisions. You know that you need to assume some risks. I mean, you need to understand exactly what risk are you assuming, and you need to cut uh, uh, at some point. Here, for example, in, in, in Hermes, we decided to launch with Zika Snarks. This is uh, 
known technology, there's still a lot of things. The only, I would say that the point that we are risking more, and here is where, at least this, if you want, is, is our point uh, that we are moving forward, is uh, mainly Poseidon. Poseidon is a hash function inside inside the snarks. This is a less less used. It's not used in, Z, in, in Zcash. They are using Pedersen hash. Here we we are betting Poseidon. I know that there is other projects that are using this already in production, but here is probably the most risky uh, primitive that we are incorporating. Yes, that's that's uh, we assume that we we know that, but you know at some point somebody needs to. I would say that every project needs to in, in, include something uh, in there. So I we we believe that Poseidon is very new, but. Uh, we have a strong confidence that this is going to be a good hash function. And maybe we are wrong and, and you never know. Right? But that's, <laughs> but I think it's, uh, we can assume that and, and that's, uh, it's a, uh, it's a bad, but yes, what's, what's the most critical from the crypto, at least from the cryptographic perspective, what's the most critical part of uh, Hermes project was Poseidon hash. That's the, uh, that's what gets me more scared. Let's actually introduce this project you've mentioned now, Hermes. Hermes Rollup, what is this project exactly? Hermes is a rollup, uh, very much as standard uh, ZK rollup, as we understand. And the main differences here is that we want to, Hermes, we designed it with decentralization in mind. Also, the other thing that we are in, including is all this proof of donation. We understand that we are running on top of a layer one. So we have, uh, in some way, we need to promote, we need to help, we need to just put the word you want there, but we need to uh, grow together with the layer one. So this is the proof of donation, uh, the idea of this proof of donation, that's like uh, 40% of all the uh, transaction fees that will be collected from the Hermes will go to the layer one, the community, to the community funds. Where are you collecting this from? Maybe you can walk us through where that collection point happens. Yeah, this is how, how, we, how it works. The idea is how, we, so here is who can be a, an operator. The operator in the rollup is the one that just uh, collects the transactions, embed them in a batch and then uh, send a transaction in layer one, including all these uh, transactions in a single layer one transaction, that's the compression that's leading the, in the rollup. So here the idea is how do you select who can be the coordinator, okay? Uh, so this coordinator, uh, well, one option could be just to centralize, so mm -hmm. it's a centralized coordinator, and that's it, that's the easy part. And here we are betting for a more decentralized, decentralized system. And here the idea is that everybody can be a coordinator. The idea is that we divide the time in, in 10 minutes slots, and then you beat to buy this slot. So you, I want to buy this slot and then it's an auction, the one that bids. I bid to be a coordinator during those 10 minutes. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And the winner, the one that's willing to bid, that's willing to, to spend more money, this is uh, the one that really uh, gets the chance. And during these 10 minutes, you can uh, forge as many batches as you can. So if you have a good hardware, and if you have a, uh, you can collect a lot of transactions, then looking for you, you send transactions, and you're, but you will have to pay your cost. So you cannot put like a high value there because it needs to compensate for you. It's an auction. Mm. So from this money that we collect from this auction, it's 40% uh, uh, is burned. 40% uh, goes to the community, to this, you know, to this community fund in some way. We, we will start using, well, this... We don't want to get very much distracted on that. So with this, we'll, we will probably at the beginning will use this uh, quadratic funding on Bitcoin. But at the end, it will be we, we will not even decide that. So probably we'll send it maybe to the Ethereum Foundation. Ethereum Foundation will send it here. So it's just it will go to the layer one. So we we this is uh, something that's community funds. We don't we we should not be able to decide how uh, they get spent. How they get you know they need to get for the layer one. So that's uh, the, the and thing. then what's the last twenty percent? Where does that go? Twenty percent goes to the go to goes to the investors. It's going to be a kind of a token that people that has this token then will will get this reward. What's the point of burning tokens? Yeah, the the, the idea of burning is that uh, if you send it to somebody else, uh, then you can cycle uh, the money. It's like I'm I'm I'm. I'm I'm betting for something, but I can bet a lot of money because at the end, uh, the recipient of mm. this money is myself. So it's like, and then you can, you always win. So the idea is that you need to be a huge amount of this percentage that's born. Actually, this is like 40% is burned directly and 40% more is, is in some way we don't control that. It just goes to the community. Yeah. So 
this 80 percent uh, should be more than enough but why not send all 80 percent to the community well that's that would be another option but we also are uh, we the problem of sending to the community we are also afraid that there may be some 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 feedbacks it could be some corrupt in some way so I think that having 40% that's burned for sure, this, this, this creates, uh, well, we, we know that at least 40%, so you are going to loss a lot. And then we have like 40% that if every, everything works okay, it's like an 80% of burn mm. if you want. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's, the, that's a little bit, this is a... Hand wavy. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit, that's, but that, I think that are uh, good starting points. And well, at least we, we want to maintain that and see how it works. That's... The the individual or the this this bid this auction at the beginning there's this person this personers entity who's trying to get to be the coordinator on the batches is that what you called it a coordinator I'm forgetting now yes coordinator yeah sometimes yeah sometimes yeah operator but it's more it's better coordinator is a good name yeah okay coordinator or operator on the batches they're paying but what do they get. Like, why would they do this? Well, they get all the fees. They get all the fees of the okay. transaction. So when you are sending a transaction, a transaction, there is a fee. So they are collecting all the fees of all the transactions they are including in all the batches that they are generating. I see. And you know that that's going to be enough that it matches their... Well, this is what uh, coordinators needs to, in some way, uh, optimize and, and, and bet. If there is a lot of transactions with high uh, transaction fees, then uh, they will maybe will be able to, to bet more mm. and... Or maybe they have a good cost, you know, they have a good uh, uh, systems that they can run it very cheaply and they can generate the proof very fast and, and they have uh, these competitive advantages with the other coordinators. This is actually their margin. So this is uh, where they can, they can bet on that. I, I just realized something that maybe I'm not fully clear on with the roll-up concept, but is there actually gas on the transactions within the roll-up? Because that seems... It is. It's a transaction fee. It's, very a, tra- much like- it's a new, newly, but it's not related to the actual mainnet transaction fee in any way. It's uh, it's not related directly, but at the end, there is a fee to write to chain. Well, so yeah, at the end, the coordinator, the coordinator needs to uh, create a transaction on the mainnet, mm-hmm. and he needs to pay for the fee for the for the gas in the mainnet. So, in some way, they need to. Yeah, well, you need to include this. They need to include this this cost in the people's mm-hmm. transaction. Got it. But the thing is that the cost of these uh, roll-up transactions is gonna it's gonna be like much lower. Maybe I don't know, I fifty see. times less. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you still like so it's like the overall mainnet transaction fee will be smaller because it's batched. Exactly. And that has to be included in the transaction fees in the roll-up. But you still get a disc. You get a much discounted yes, transaction fee. Exactly, because, but this is important yeah. because uh, people think that the roll-up transactions are free and yeah, and <laughs> aka me just now. It's yeah. not <laughs> okay. No, they are not really free. So it's like well, I can't promote them. Okay, I can I can make you a gift and it's going to be free for you. But actually, somebody needs to pay the gas of the proof. Yeah. And here is where. Zika snarks are unbeatable. Zika snarks are unbeatable in the verification, uh, in the verification cost, and in the proof sites. And these parameters is very important, okay. especially with these uh, high gas uh, fees in the Ethereum. So that's why Zika snarks is still the best schema, zero knowledge schema. If you just take in account this parameter, you know the cost of the verification mm. on chain, it's still it's like twice, it's, it's like half cheaper than, for example, a Plonk or, I don't know, many times cheaper than Starks or any other, uh, any other schema mm. on there. So Zika Snarks is still a good. Maybe it's like, it's not like the last trending in the zero knowledge space. You know, it's like every, every Halo and, and Plonk mm-hmm. and it's like appearing a lot of new things, which are cool. And, and I tell you, it's like, I, we need to get in there. It's, it's not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say, I don't wanna say that they have a little good, very good properties. You know, they don't need this trust to set up. They yeah. can, you can, some of them, you can use some more uh, normal cryptography inside the circuits. So there is a lot of advantages of these. They, they have recursion, they have a lot of advantages on these new schemas. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't wanna say that they are bad, but for the specific parameter of the verification cost in uh, on chain, uh, Zika snarks are still the best. And you mean the ZK snark with the trusted setup. And so that's the big yeah. disadvantage. 
Zika's not good off 16. With a trusted setup, yeah. With a trusted setup, yes. That's an inherent nature of the of that structure and of the cryptography, but also because Ethereum doesn't support any of the other cryptography. So, I mean, if you wanted to deploy something else and there wasn't you know, an EIP for it first, then it would be a thousand times more expensive because it doesn't support the crypto. I would say yes and no. So first, there are some other, for example, Plunk, it's supported if you are using the BN128 Corp. So it's supported by Ethereum, but even just uh, forget about Ethereum. Just uh, yeah. see the 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 cost, and just the verification in cost, the, in the math. Yeah, and the size of the proof. You just yeah. how many bytes the sites have. I don't care. Just forget about the the, the cost of the blockchain. Yeah. Just what's the, how big is the proof and and how much just takes um, a regular CPU to uh, verify your proof. Uh, I have a follow up question on the fees because. Well, I wonder how are the fees for the on the operator side calculated? Because as you said, the, the operator has to pay something, which makes me think that they will have to like be able to set some minimum fee at least, or maybe decide the fee entirely. But then you don't have the same fee structure as on Ethereum, where like the the user can you know kind of bid with their fee, right? Like if I pay more, maybe I get included. Uh, so how are the fees actually decided? Yeah, the fees are decided very much like any other blockchain. So at the end is the operator can select the transactions they want and they just include them in the batches uh, if they are reliable. But because this gas cost and because this uh, variable cost, it's going to be uh, for sure a minimum a minimum fee there. Well, here is uh, something very specific from the for for the coordinators and the coordinators probably have to distinguish two situations. One is when they are running at full capacity uh, and the other is when they are running under under the capacity mm. for under the capacity this is going to be this is going to be probably easy it's going to be just a minimum a minimum fee that will be set by the by the coordinator and in full capacity it's going to be very much what we know now in ethereum or bitcoin this is like an auction a, yeah an auction and you just depending on the moment of the day you will have to pay a little bit more or less yes but there's a there's a difficult problem where if the operator says okay i'm gonna pay 10 in fee 10 something mm-hmm. and um so they said you know i'm predicting that i'm gonna get 10 transactions so i'm gonna charge each transaction a minimum fee of one mm-hmm. But then they only get five transactions. Do they still submit the block kind of on time, quote unquote, on time, or do they hold off until they get ten? Or uh, yeah, that uh, feels like a hard trade-off for the operator. It's, uh, there, there is an optimization problem there. That's one of the things that we are working there, and it's uh, this is one of the one of the nicest uh, models of uh, Hermes that we are building. But this optimization problem. And I, let me add you on top of that. This is with, uh, we are doing that with millions of transactions. We are scaling. So the, the difficulty there is that's not half uh, 100 transactions there. We have uh, maybe, I don't know, a million transactions and we need to select which are the right ones and make these kind of decisions. Once you, once you earn the, the auction, then this is like a sunk cost. So at the end, it's, yeah. uh, as far as you are, you need to understand very much what's your variable cost. Uh, of, of the fees and and at the end it's just a, it's a decision problem it's like how much transactions what are the best transactions that I can get how much I get on that and it, it, is it profitable for me so generating this, transac- this transaction or maybe I need to wipe maybe you need to wipe yeah. or if it's enough yeah. then you just send it there and it's yeah it's an optimization and it's it's this is one of the difficulties and one of the nice things that needs to be caught in the in the coordinator side writing coordinator it's a uh, as I told you, it's a interesting engineering yeah. problem. It, it might the, also be a little bit like a, just we have to accept it as a variance problem that it's a repeated game we have to play and kind of like mining, you, you're mining and most of the time you're not winning and that's just on cost and you're losing. But then every once in a while you win and you get enough to recoup the losses. <laughs> yes, this is this is something that maybe the technical people is not very used to, but if you talk with business people, this is actually what they are doing all the time. At the end, it's managing the, the risks and yeah. evaluating the risk and decision-making, and this is something that's... Uh, uh, very studied from the in the operations, uh, you know. If, if you talk any operation manager of uh, any big company, that's mainly what they are 
facing all, all, uh, all day. It's maybe some unknown problem for many of the devs that has, they don't know this uh, subject, but it's a known problem in the industry, in, in the other industries, you know, in the production industry mm. and other manufacturing industries. We actually are almost at time, but I have, we're close to the end of our questions too. So we're on track. I wanted to ask, is Hermes a concept or is it a full-fledged product? Like, would somebody come along and build with Hermes or on top of Hermes using Hermes as like a structure or is it going to be a DEX of itself? No, no, no. It's like a, it's a, a Hermes is going to be a, a public roll-up. You know, it's a, a Hermes that everybody can use. It's uh, everybody can use to make payments on top of that. It's not going to be a DEX, but it can be DEX that can be built on top of that. But you guys aren't building that. We are not building that. The, the cool yeah. thing of one of the interesting properties of uh, of uh, Hermes is that they would include uh, atomic transactions and atomic transactions. You know, for you know, for swapping one. Uh, one token to another token. And this is very, very, it's an important piece for any DEX that wants to be mm. built on top of that. But it's just uh, primitive that Hermes will, will include. How does Hermes really stack up against the other rollups that already exist? So there's like Loopring has come out and there are these sort of off-chain layer twos like Diversify that also, you know, are using Snarks and bringing like some of these transaction data back on chain. How does it distinguish itself? Well, there are different projects and each one has his uh, ways to understand the technology and I would say even many other uh, ways. Uh, for example, if you compare with Loopring, that by the way, it's an incredible project and it's a project to mirror on. It's a very... Like an inspiration. Inspiration, yeah. So it's a very good project on that. So it's, a, uh, for example, uh, Loopring is more... Uh, the DEX itself, and it's uh, uh, more decent, the concept of the centralized coordinator, which for the kind of project they are building is it's okay. But what, for example, we are trying to build a more decentralized uh, coordinator system. Here we include this proof of donation stuff that I think this is something that's new and needs to be tested, and this can be used in other rollups, for example, in maybe some optimistic rollups or some ways to select the coordinator. So that's a cool idea. Uh, it's an idea that comes from Barry White Hat, and, and I think that's uh, uh, something that can add a lot of value to the space. Uh, also, this uh, proof of donation that you are giving back to the community, to the layer one, I hope that other projects uh, in the, in layer one follow this, layer one, to just follow this schema to, to you know, just to, to maintain or to help maintain, to help uh, improve the layer one. Mm. I think this is important for the space that this happened. And also the, you know, the, the strategy for promoting, for launching. We are also mm. building uh, wallets. We are building APIs. So at the end is we are building a project there. What you just said there, though, that idea of like contributing back to layer one, I feel like, I mean, two years ago, it's, I just don't, I, I did not think we'd be in the position where there's so much value on layer two that you actually have to think about maintenance of layer one. But I guess that's what's happening, right? I, I tell you, my, my point, I think that at some point, everything, all the value is going to be in layer two. And layer one wow. is going to be just, uh, uh, you know, layer two, trans now these uh, transactions of, uh, of, operate, of coordinators hmm. uh, on that. It, this is like um, extreme and it's going to be a process, yeah. but uh, layer one that do not scale and it's going to be very expensive. So uh, uh, when we go to mainstream, we will need this uh, layer two. And layer one is going to be just for these uh, highly valuable transactions yeah. that at the end are going to be the layer two, the transactions that come from layer two. And, and you know, I, I'm, I do not have a crystal ball, but I think that the, the blocks, the space goes in, in that direction. And but what about like, so once... If ETH2 comes out, though, what happens? Like, as I understood it, rollups will probably still exist on shards when ETH2 comes out. Like, it's still going to be relevant. But, like, isn't it supposed to solve some of the things that Layer 2 solves for? For me, rollup is very much what in, in Ethereum 2 is called an execution environment. Okay. At least a rollup is a kind of execution environment. So the way I see it, and, and maybe I'm not the right person, I'm not an expert in Ethereum 2, but mm. how I see it is that uh, Ethereum 2 will be mainly a uh, data availability. So you want to do a transaction, so you will publish this data in some shards somewhere. 
and then you will get this data and we'll include in some execution environment, rollup, if you want to call it rollup, uh, that will be uh, managed in, and then in some chain. So it will be, this state will be updated. Uh, so you will, you will update some, some state according to this. So this is how I see that uh, how the scaling will, will work. You know, you need data availability. That's why we need all the sharding and stuff. And then you need these execution environments if you want rollups that can execute thousands of transactions. It's like it's just thousands of transactions, but with a very small cost for the consensus environment. And, and there is where also gets importance, this inter-rollup communication or inter-layer mm-hmm. two communications. That's all this... I think they are happening already start thinking about sometimes they mix it with this inter-shard communication but it's like for me it's inter, inter-execution environment communication and value transfer yeah. uh, that's why this needs to be evolved and think very much on that mm. but that's how I think that uh, space uh, will evolve and how we'll scale Would you say like is CIRCOM I'm going to kind of go back to what we talked about earlier in the episode with CIRCOM specifically, but do you feel like CIRCOM is in the Ethereum toolkit or could it be used by many different things? It's pretty broad, right? It's not written in solidity or anything. CIRCOM is it's for writing circuits and you can use the circuits wherever you, for anything. I shouldn't have said writing, uh, writing yeah, written I'm, in solidity because I know it's a language, <laughs> but I'm more like, it's not, it's not deeply connected to Ethereum tooling. <laughs> No, the only connection point is mainly that I'm a I'm an Ethereum community member. So yeah. for me, it's like uh, for me, I'm, I'm thinking with Ethereum in mind. Uh, that's but that's a very weak connection. Yeah. And uh, and the other thing is that uh, are for you example, seeing it being used in other places? Yes, yes, yes. Circum is used in in many in many projects and a lot of projects. For example, maybe they end up using Libsnarks or something else, but. All the devel- there is a lot of developers. Just Circum, just by the fact that's introducing so many developers to the zero knowledge space, it's so important for for, for just for that. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's I mean, at least for that is is there is enough value in Circum just with that. And and of course, Circum is much more on that. You can really build uh, real. And, mm-hmm. and, and for example, Hermes. One of the goals of Hermes is we are using Circum for developing all these roll up, uh, all the roll up. You know, all the roll up circuits are going to be writing in Circum. Mm-hmm. And this is also a, a some important uh, milestone for Circum because an entire roll up built yeah. on it. But like, did Loopring not use Circum? No, Lubring, I think they, well, they know Circom, they start building something on Circom, but they are losing, as far as I know, they're using uh, Libsnarks. Okay, got it. As far as I know, but it's no, I, at least this part I think is not open source, so you should ask them. Actually, that leads me to like, who are the people building Circom and Hermes? Like, what is this a, how many contributors do you consider kind of part of your team Let's see. Let's see. Circom is uh, well. We have some collaborators, but Circom is very much myself. You know, okay. it's just Circom is not JS. I would say that I'm ninety a lot percent of the code is written by myself. Okay. The other thing is Hermes. Hermes mainly it's um, it's the full Aiden three, the full the full Aiden three team. Yes, we we frozen a little bit the identity and we focus. So we put we are like about twenty persons uh, developers working there and and. We are at this at this moment. We are full steam uh, preparing Hermes. We already have like a couple of uh, two proof of concepts in testnets and so on. We are just you know adapting, doing some changes and rewriting, refactoring some some models. And right now we are full steam. All most of the team just working on on that. And that's well, that's exciting. But you know, right now it's like we are in in launch mode. You know, just Got we are it. just. Uh, going uh, for Steam. So the last question I have that I didn't get to touch on, what is the proof, like where is the proof of donation and what is that actually? Well, it's like, it's a way, instead of saying proof of burn, that sounds like really bad. It's like at the end, it's like uh, you are actually in in order to select uh, an operator, you need to prove that you actually made a donation. I see. So it's like proof of stake where you stake money, but here it's proof of payment. Exactly. It's proof of. of donation. It's like you are proving that you made a, a donation, in this case, uh, through an action. But yeah. uh, you are a, a coordinator if actually if you prove that you make this specific donation. That's where the name came from. 
So does proof of donation have, is, is there like any consensus principle to it or is it just a proof as in like a, like a hash or something? Uh, consensus in this layer two, it's the consensus uh, pro protocol. Everything happens in layer one. Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. And proof, yes, because there is a transaction that you can prove that with that transaction, yes. Okay. So we're at time, and uh, it's unfortunately time to wrap up and, and end this in some way. Uh, it's been fascinating talking about what has been done, but I'm, we usually end on this uh, this question of looking forward. What are you looking forward to, and what's exciting to you at the moment? Right now, as I told you, I'm very, very fo focused in launching Hermes. I hope that in the next 40 minutes, so in the next 40 minutes, this will be launched. But if you go a little bit further, and for me, there are a lot of interesting things that will happen. One of the things that I'm very, very uh, interested in, and it's something that's very excited, is, the, for example, all these um, massive migrations. That means that moving, then is transferring, uh, it's massive transfers between one layer two solution to another layer two solution. This is something that we start talking, having start talking about and start being a debate that it is between roll-ups uh, communications. That's really important side. Of course, there is Ethereum 2.0. That's very important, especially for the data availability side. It's, it's going a little slow, but I am very excited because uh, I hope that uh, Ethereum 2.0 will solve this uh, data availability and this will increase a lot of the scalability and so on. Then there is this, all these uh, recursive, you know, all these recursive snarks where you can start, uh, you know, this, uh, there is some projects that already have started working on that, that you can have privacy inside the rollup or even smart contracts uh, inside the rollup. That's, that's very exciting. Then there is all the identity that's still there. Uh, we hope that uh, at some point we can have a full compliance uh, rollup, just uh, linking that with all the identity that's, we want to continue, and it's a project that's it's not. So it's we are we are continuing there right now. We are focused on on Hermes, but uh, identity is still there right now. My goal is Hermes, but uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but the, the, but the, the identity is a really important project for the space, and uh, we have the commitment to continue uh, working on that. Well, yeah, you know, just uh, all these uh, new protocols that are appearing like every week and, and new new projects, you know, super exciting projects. I don't know, last week there was like a couple of projects that were very, very inter interesting and promising, and promising. Coda and, uh, and uh, this was again... Um, oh, Pickles. Pickles, that yeah. was very inter interesting, all these recursive, just to, to, you know, just to verify the full chain. Uh, that I think that's a very very cool project too, and and there is a lot of new projects in the space that are happening, and and at the end is so my goal, my goal is that this all this happens. So that's so it's you're on your way then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Jordi. Thank you to you. Finally, <laughs> I can't believe it took us so long. Whenever you want, Anna, I'm, I'm open. Just uh, let me know. <laughs> cool. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Fred. And to our uh, listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.